Welcome to Dear Runner Bod, the pod dedicated to helping you embrace your runner's body. I'm Serena Moriardi, a registered dietitian and body image coach who wants you to stop dieting and start fueling the athlete within. While I am a medical professional, the information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure. Now, let's start rewriting your body's story. I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest, Marie Pierre. Marie Pierre is an anti-diet registered dietitian with a BSc in psychology and the founder of The Balance Practice, a team of healthcare providers specializing in eating disorder care. After completing her first degree in psychology, Marie Pierre struggled with an eating disorder. After recovery, she went back to school to become an RD with the dream of supporting folks on their own food journeys. Marie Pierre then started her private practice and has been supporting folks with healing their relationship with food and their bodies ever since. She strives to provide evidence-based nutrition interventions to all her clients. Marie Pierre is a passionate about helping folks discover how to ditch diet culture and nourish their bodies without guilt, shame, or restrictions. You can spot me, Marie Pierre, on local news, radio stations, and facilitating presentations to different organizations on nutrition. She is the host of the Heal ED podcast, where she and her team, along with expert guests, talk about all things related to eating disorders and food freedom. Marie Pierre offers one-on-one counseling at The Balanced Practice, as well as an online group program to help folks heal their relationship with food and body. She is bilingual in French and English. So I am so excited for you to hear today's episode because uh, Marie just honestly like breaks down the science uh, like no other. It's pretty wild how um, how passionate she is about the topic, but then also just like how deep her knowledge goes for how the brain works and how the um, the body works as well. So I am super, super excited for you to listen to today's episode. Before we dive in, though, I did want to give a shout out to this week's uh, review of the week. Coach Tina, you are this week's winner. So make sure you DM me at Serena Marie RD or email me Serena at Serena Marie RD.com and um, let me know that you are the winner so I can make sure that you get a free masterclass. And to anyone who wants to win a free masterclass about meal planning or body image healing or stopping your sugar cravings, you can have any of those masterclasses for free if you are the review of the week winner. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts and post a review of the week. And if you hear yours read on the pod, then you win and you get a free masterclass. So Coach Tina, what did she have to say? Coach Tina said, permission to speak. I've been following this fantastic RD for years. She was a guest on a podcast when I was knee deep in over-exercise and other ED issues. And I love how she is straightforward and also compassionate. And what she shared with is about our bodies running and our relationship with food. I feel like she is speaking to me personally while also speaking to all of us. Maybe my voice is also worth hearing. So coach, thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. It means so much to me. Not only does it just make me feel really good (laughs) to hear that I'm helping you, um, but also it helps the algorithm push the podcast out to more people. And as you all know, we want to spread the message that all runner bodies are worthy of being called runner bodies as long as you run. So thanks for leaving a review and so excited to share today's episode with you. Hello, welcome to another episode of Dear Runner Bod. I am here today with Marie. Hello there, Marie. Hello, how are you? 
I'm doing so well. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. So Maria is here because we wanted to chat all about hormones because I know hormones is one of those things that I'm always having women reach out and they're like, I think my hormones are messed up. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm worried about my hormones. And then at the same time, in the same breath, they're like, and I'm doing keto and I'm losing, I'm trying to lose weight. And I'm always like, ah. Mm. So Marie is truly like an expert in this field. And I wanted to talk to you today about, um, about kind of like what are the bigger implications to dieting that maybe we don't hear about when we just casually start, you know, following some diet plan. Yes. And I love all of those things. I'm super pumped to be here and talking about it because I don't think we realize it. Like I don't think diets come with like a like warning sign of like, here's actually what's going to happen to your body if you do this. And then we all do it. And then we're like, oh, my body feels a little messed up. And we're like, all right. So I think it's great that we're able to kind of have this conversation. Yeah. No, I, that is such a good way of putting it. It's like, listen, everyone can do whatever they want with their own body, right? Like we believe in body autonomy, but that said, it's almost like a pack of cigarettes. Like you pick up a pack of cigarettes, there's this big like warning sign, like, hey, do what you want, but this is killing you. And so yeah. it's almost like we need that that warning sign on on diets. So Marie, there before be. we dive in, um, you're a dietitian. I know you have your own story of how you kind of got into this intuitive eating world. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about like, why aren't you a weight loss dietitian? Like how did you kind of get here today to where you are? Yeah, for sure. And like, I have to say that when I started, like, you know, went to university and got my education, like I never thought I would be this person that I am today. I think there's been a lot of evolutions. Um, I think as there is for many, you know, dietitians who are doing this work. Um, so for me, I guess my story started and I, I, I want to take us back a little bit. So I started actually my career in like psychology. So I was extremely interested in human psychology. I come from a very big family. So we are eight humans, um, eight siblings. We have two siblings that are adopted. I have a bunch of stepbrothers. Like it's just a wild environment. But that also led me like even from a very young age where I was so interested into like why we do the things we do, the way that we perceive the world, our emotions, our reactions. So I really started um, my education on that field thinking I was just going to go into psychology. Um, I got accepted into doing a doctorate degree. But at that time, what happened is that when I was finishing my psych degree, I started to develop an eating disorder. And I didn't really notice it at first because I was very much this person that was like, fitness is so cool. And like, I'm a fit girl. And like, I just want to be healthy. And health very quickly became very obsessive. Like my body changed very drastically over six months. And I was like, hell yeah. And everybody was praising me. So, you know, kind of like that story yeah. that I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, I remember that, or that's where I'm at now. Like very much like going through, um, just my own issues with food and body. And I was leaving an abusive relationship at that time. And I feel like I've put a lot of the issues from that relationship on my body of like the issue was my body was not thin enough. My body was not good enough. Like if I was in a better body, then like potentially things would have worked out differently. Right. So the body became the issue and I hyper-focused on it. So I ended up developing an eating disorder at that time and could not continue um, with my degree. I actually ended up changing and went to law school for a little bit. Like I was, I was a little lost. Um, and then when I was finally diagnosed with my eating disorder, I was able to access treatment 
And as I was going through my own treatment here, when I was extremely fortunate to get access, because this is not something that a lot of people do have access, like we're here in Canada, like eating disorder treatment is just, it's really hard to get to. Um, but it wasn't great. It was very weight centric. Um, I was like promised that my body was not going to change. Like the emphasis was still very much on like body and it was just a little weird to be honest with you. Like I didn't really love my own recovery journey. And when I was going and I was further along, granted, I still had the eating disorder. I went back to school to become a dietitian. Part of it was I want to learn about food so I can actually be thin forever. But the yep. other part was like, I want to be a dietitian for eating disorders and help other people through this. So as I went back to school to become a dietitian, I had a very healing experience doing my degree. I know it's not the case for many dietitians, but for me being able to actually understand the science behind like, okay, how does like, how do my hormones work? How does my body work? Like, why is restriction actually really freaking harmful? And why is it not good for my body? And how can I actually work with my body so I can feel better was really helpful for me. So I ended up doing that degree and then started my practice where we do combine psychology and nutrition to help people really recover. And at the beginning, I know this is like long story short, but like at the beginning, oh, I, love I it. still had the like weight loss piece in my brain because I was like, mm, what if I did like mindful weight loss? Like what if there was a way? And I initially started that way with my practice and it did not last long because one, I hated it. I was like, this feels so out of alignment. But then even for me as someone who's had an eating disorder, anytime I went back to either trying to restrict tried to change my body. When I focused on my body, it re-triggered my ED. Like I was unable to hyper-focus on my body anymore from that angle. Um, and my tolerance to dieting was very, very low. Like before cycles could go on longer. And now I was like, okay, I can diet for a day or a morning. <laughs> By nighttime, I'm like, oh my God, I'm binging. Like what is happening? Um, so like from my own experience and then like working with clients, I'm like, this is not the way. Like People have this idea that weight loss is the like condition that they need to fill to be happy, to be successful, to be able to do all these things, but people lose the weight and they don't necessarily feel better. And then they're on this like space where they're like trying so hard to maintain it. And that still becomes like so much of their brain juice. So I really shifted at that time and started to read like health at every size and anti-diet and all of these things where I was like, ah. I think we are all here to like live and experience life and being able to like, you know, love and belong and do all of these things. And we have this idea that our bodies are a limiting factor. But if we can get past that and actually learn how to live in our body, be happy in our body, nourish our body and take care of ourselves, like we can like by bypass <laughs> the weight loss and actually truly feel happier. So that's kind of how I landed here, where I do this work with folks to help them have a good relationship with food and body. Because I do believe that when we do, our whole life then gets to change because it takes so much energy and brain juice when I know we're dieting or we have a disordered relationship with food and body. Yeah. I mean, wow. What a story. And I love the honesty, Marie, and saying like, this wasn't this easy peasy decision to come to this place where I'm not teaching weight loss. Right. And mm -hmm. I know you probably can relate to this as well. Like people want you to help them lose weight. And so like, it can almost be uncomfortable. I know for me, like I'm a people pleaser. Like I want my clients yeah. to be like, I love you. You're the best thing ever. And so when I'm telling them like, listen, like weight loss is not 
this is not a goal. Like it's not a metric we're going to be using. Like we're going to let your body find the weight that is healthiest for her and we're not going to mess with that. That can sometimes make me feel uncomfortable and having to really be in this space for such a long time where you get used to that discomfort. And you're like, listen, we both Mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable right now because we're not putting weight loss on the table, but this is for your, the greater good. This is for the health of your body, mental health, physical health, and really just learning how to like sit with that discomfort and like allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to figure out like what true health looks like in your body. It's just, it's, it's, it's a journey. Yeah, it's definitely a journey. I have found like over the years, like now I'm pretty clear with folks of like, if you want weight loss, again, body autonomy, you do yep. you, but like it won't be with me. Like I'm not going to be your person. Yep. But I have found recently that when I, I've t- talked to the approach with clients, I'm like, so if you're going to work with me, here's how it looks like. Most of the time I get this like, <sighs> like almost clients are like, oh, wow. Like you're not going to put my body on this like shaming pedestal of like, if it's good enough this week. And although there can be that discomfort of like letting go of the idea of using weight as a measure, I think there's also this sense of relief of like, okay, like it can be done differently. Cause we're also like burned out by the scale. Like, I think if you're someone who's been weighing yourself like every day for like 30 years or whatever, every week, it's just, it gets to a point that it's just more stress inducing and it's not actually helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like almost like no one has ever given you the permission before to just like find what your body will do when she is well fed and when she is healthy and doing things that make her feel good. And it's just like this whole new way of looking at health that I think a lot of people are like, wait, like I can do that. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's an option. And so it's just, it's really cool to kind of give, give um, our clients that opportunity. So, so Marie, we're talking a lot about like how we're giving these people like this this permission, this pass to let their body be what she wants to be. And at the same time, I know the the woman who is listening to this right now is like, okay, but like I I also want to be healthy. Like this is like very yeah. important to me. Like I want to make sure I'm taking good care of my body. And so Marie, I wanted to spend today diving into the science. Like you were saying, like get becoming an RD, it was healing because you have the science, right? And so I think for a lot of women, it can be healing to hear the science behind what does dieting, we're not even talking about eating disorders, like what does a (laughs) diet do to your hormones? Is it helping your hormones? Is it hurting your hormones? Like what is going on in that Mm -hmm. situation? Yeah. So it's definitely not helping. It's definitely harming. Um, I do want to say, so when we talk about diet, I I really see it as like when it's a restrictive diet, which means that it's not, okay, I need to back up a little bit because I think when we think of restrictive, we're like, oh, I'm only eating like a little bit every day, like a very, very little, but like actually no, (laughs) like we'd be very surprised what restrictive actually is because depending, I mean, I think we've all been taught that women need just like little amount of food, like to survive, which is not true, right? Like I know I grew up, can we say numbers here? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So I grew up and like I was in the the age of like Pinterest where it was like the 1200 calorie diet was like the thing that everybody was trying to do. And like I truly believe that that is what a grown woman needed. And anything above that I was like is way too much. But as I did my own healing and also education, I'm like, oh my God, this is not okay. Like 1200 calories is extremely restrictive for most of us, like unless you're a two-year-old person, like we need a lot more energy. So I think the first part of like, when we talk about restrictive, like just knowing what is restrictive, like it's actually, you're like, if we are dieting, we're most likely restricting, like your body needs quite a lot of energy. So 
from that end. So if we are dieting um, from a body perspective, so if we take away the brain for a moment where we're like not thinking about like our goals and like we want to be healthy and this is what the like influencer say is, what our body sees from the restriction aspect is a threat, right? Like our body's goal is to survive. That's like legit the only thing it's trying to do day after day. Like it wants to survive. It wants to be here. It wants to be sure that like, you know, we can face all the elements. Like we're just here to be able to kind of live our life. So when there is a threat that happens, there is an automatic response, right? And this happens like if you were to like cut your hand or something happens, there's a whole bunch of mechanism that will happen like inflammation. We have like oxytocin to help us deal with the pain. There's, you know, like all the mechanism that goes into like scarring and making sure that your your cut is going to heal properly. Restriction is harmful to almost all of the body's organs. Because when we think about it, if our body needs a certain amount of energy, not even to thrive, but just survive, right? Just like maintain our level of activity that we need to do every day, just like being a breathing, living human, if you are not meeting those needs consistently, your body will start perceiving that like, like it's, it's a cut, it's a threat. Something is happening. Something is wrong. I am not able to meet my needs anymore. And now all of our systems get like activated. So what we can see from that perspective is one, having a high, like chronic cortisol release. So having a stress response in our body that is like maintained over time. So we are chronically stressed. This is extremely impactful for our health. Like I'm, I'm starting to believe that like stress and sleep are the two most important health determinants. Like the totally. more that I'm like doing this work, I'm like, yeah. I think it's really more about the way we deal with our stress and how we sleep. But when we are chronically stressed and our body has a lot of stress, it's really impactful for like muscle tissue, for organs, for like focus, concentration, memory, cognition, like stress really impacts everything in our body. And when we are under a chronic like restrictive diet, we are chronically stressed and we have all of those impacts. So that's not great. Um, and then we also know that our metabolism will also drop. So our metabolism is your body's energy, that expenditure, right? So if let's say, oh, you can't see, I'm, I'm on, I'm on I always forget I'm on podcast. I'm like, can I use my hands for this? <laughs> Um, but if we think about like, if you have a, an average metabolism where your body knows how much energy it needs to like, you know, give to your liver and your kidneys and your heart and your lungs and your brain to just be able to like live. Um, and you were chronically not meeting that your body's going to adapt. Like we're real smart and we're going to try to meet that new need. So if I'm not giving enough calories, we're going to try to lower, um, what happens when our metabolism is lower is that our energy also tends to go down, right? So if I don't have, if my metabolism lowers, my energy also lowers. So my perception of energy lowers, but my actual energy to do things also lowers. So we have like early onset fatigue. Um, we can start feeling like very low interest in things. There can be feelings of like anxiety, depression that can set in. And it's just a side effect of like not meeting our body's needs again. What happen, however, when we do re-increase, right? So if you have like a day where you eat more, then we're like no longer on the diet and we start eating more, your metabolism doesn't just re-increase that way, right? And I think that's something that like 
especially with like reverse dieting and stuff like that, that people may think, but no, because your body was like, well, that was really scary. So let me maintain this very low level of energy expenditure in case this happens again. So it is pretty damaging more long-term than we think when we put our body through that type of dieting. Now that doesn't stay forever. Like eventually your body's like, okay, I'm going to adapt to the way that we're now eating. Um, but it is a little bit more long-term than just like, you know, during the diet period. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we also have the impacts on our hunger and satiety hormones, which is also, um, you know, and some people will be like, well, when I diet or when I fast, like I don't feel hungry. And I don't know if you hear that. I hear that all the time. of like, my body probably doesn't need food because I don't feel the hunger. And that's not true. That is because restriction also impacts our hunger and satiety hormones. So what can happen, and this depends on everybody. Like it's really interesting when we look at the studies behind those hormones because we can have um, different reactions. So we can have folks who will kind of go offline. So it's almost like their brain is no longer able to process those signals. So it's not that your body's no longer giving you those signals, is that we're no longer aware of it. So again, it's not that your body doesn't need nourishment. Your body absolutely does need nourishment. We're just not able to kind of feel that connection with our body and actually know. Um, and this happens to save energy. So when the body and the brain is restricted, um, our body is going to want to save energy. So the amount of stimulus is going to the brain is also going to lower, right? Kind of like when you put your sweater on in the morning. Like I know when I put this on this morning, I'm wearing a turtleneck. Like at the beginning of the day, I'm like, oh, I kind of feel it around my neck. But like as the time goes on, like I don't feel it anymore. It's not that my body and my skin doesn't feel the tissue. It's that my brain's like, okay, I've been getting the stimulus repeatedly. Nothing's changed. So we're just not going to like pay attention to it anymore. That is very such similar. A great analogy, and I love that so much. That that sweater analogy, where it's like <laughs> you convince yourself, like, "Ooh, like I am this diet's really working. Like it's shut down my hunger hormones." But that's not true. It's just like you're not sensing it anymore. And also, like, can we just name that like not being hungry is not a flex? <laughs> oh my god, I know. Like, isn't that a weird thing it's that you're so like, weird. they're like, mm, oh, like I'm not I, hungry. I just drink coffee and like I'm fine, and I'm like what? Like that's okay with you? And not to mention, I work with female <laughs> athletes who literally without the cat, like when you are shutting down your appetite and unable to eat all day, you are missing out on the tools you need to build the muscle that you are working so hard to build. You know, it blows my mm. mind. I'm like, you guys are spending hours of your life training and then not eating. What is the point? Like, just don't go running then. Just stay in bed and sleep because you're not giving – anyway, I can I know, but <laughs> really it's, it's light a fire true. under my butt about this. Like, it's just so ridiculous to me. Yeah. And like, I think it's a whole – okay, like I'm, I'm going on a another tangent here, but I think it's a whole thing as like women. Like, I think we try to be the smallest, the less, in, like just trying to keep ourselves so small. Like, I don't want to be needy. I don't want to, like we ignore our needs. We don't want to be loud. We don't want to take space. And I think like this has also gone through food where we're like the least amount possible for my survival, but it's not a freaking flex. Like meeting our needs is a flex. Like me being able to meet my needs and be nourished and like have energy and thrive. Like that's the real cool thing. <laughs> You know, like, but I think we got that like sideways a little bit for a while because we were just told that we needed so little energy. Yeah, no, totally. Um, it, 
It's not a flex. I love it. It's not a flex. It's not a flex. Um, but on the other end, there are some people who may go offline for a while, but then we get what we call the primal hunger. And folks who have binge eating tendencies or overeatings or these like compulsion to eat. And this is not just kind of like, oh, I want to have a snack. It's this like almost like full body drive to eat. Um, you may also experience that with diets. And that's often like what will happen with the like restrict binge cycle or like when people are dieting for a long period of time. And then when they have access to food, this like uncontrollable feeling around food. Um, and this is also a body reaction. So they call it primal hunger because it's basically your body putting your hunger on like overdrive and just trying to get access to as much calorie in a short period of time. And again, it is a protective thing because your body's like, well, if I can like try to like eat as much, it may save me for a longer period of time. Um, so some people will also have those types of reactions where they get then the all or nothing where it's like I restrict and I binge and then I restrict and I binge and then we kind of like yo-yo through the two of them, which is also yeah. really difficult. Yep, absolutely. So so it sounds like, you know, we – and I think what you first said here was that you were like, let's try and take our brain out of the equation, right? Let's try and like put our, our quote-unquote goals on the side and just think about like what's happening to the body. But I think what's interesting here is like the brain is being impacted too. Like you were saying, like oh, the brain yeah. is just not receiving these signals that um, you are hungry, even though they are happening, right? Um, can you talk actually about, because I do know like the HPA access, like telling us a little bit about like what's going on from the brain perspective when you've put foods like in the forbidden space or you are, you know, under mm -hmm. eating, like what's kind of going on from that brain chemistry perspective? Yeah. So there's a few things that happen, um, in the brain level and there's like the actual like biology of the brain. And then there's this like psychology of the brain. So those are like slight difference. So I'll, I'll talk about both because I think both are really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I love um, that. <laughs> so in terms of neurobiology, there's a few things that, that happens, um, and this may depend on like the level of restriction and like how long we've been restricted, but it can also just depend on like all of our brains. Like it's sometimes it has nothing to do with like how much we're restricting it might just be more health sensitive. We are to different types of restrictions. Um, so what we know, first of all, is that the brain will definitely be one of the organs at first that will start losing on some of the energy, which means that like our cognition will be heavily impacted, um, especially like with the frontal lobe. We also know that um, focus is down, concentration is down, but then also short-term and long-term memory, which is like really interesting. Like we, our ability to actually store information very much lowers when we are malnourished. And again, because from a body perspective, like it's more important that my lungs function so I can breathe and I can remember stuff, right? So we're kind of like prioritizing, like what is more important? Body um, and on survival. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, like we may actually be, um, yeah, we're just like diminishing our capacity. Um, but what we also know, and this can apply, and this is a little bit more eating disorder. So it can still happen with dieting, again, if the, like how chronic it is and how um, restrictive it is. But what can also happen is that we know that when somebody loses approximately 10% of their body weight based on a diet in a short period of time, we can actually start losing some brain mass. So the brain can actually shrink. Um, and again, impacting all of the functions of the brain. Um, and then we also know that it can increase our signs of anxiety and depression. 
um, which is, I mean, again, really impactful, right, in terms of our mental health and how we are able to kind of live in this world when we have very high anxiety and depression. So all of those things happen, um, which can be, I mean, really, really difficult, I think, to manage as we're also trying to manage dieting and just living in this world. Um, and then we also have what happens more on the psychological component. Oh, sorry, back to brain just one second. Our reward system can okay. actually change as well. Um, so reward systems around food. So as humans, it's normal for us to like food. It's actually really protective for us to like food, right? So most of us, when we eat, we have like oxytocin, dopamine release, uh, which is a good thing because we should enjoy food. It actually helps us eat and eating is part of our survival. Um, however, what can happen when we are restrictive is that our body in order to protect us can increase your reward system to food. So I always give this example of like when I was very, very restrictive, I would crave all these foods that I never really craved before. And like donuts was one of them. And I remember eating donuts like they were the absolute best food on this planet. And I was like, I cannot stop. Like it is so good. My reward system was highly activated, right? Cause my body like just wanted me to love food because the more I love food, the more I eat food. Mm-hmm. Once I healed, and this was many years later, cause this reward cycle can actually take up to two years to like shift back. I would eat, I, I mean, I still eat donuts here and there, but the reward system and the pleasure that I have of food has actually quite diminished right? Which is actually kind of sad too, because I'm like, oh, I remember loving this so much. And I was just kind of like, yeah, it's good. It's a donut. Like it's always good. But it's not this like, oh my God, it's so good. And I can't stop eating. And like this like big feeling and attraction to food is no longer there. And that has to do with the reward system that we have with food. And most dieters will have an increased reward system with food. Okay. Now on the psychological side. So what we also know what can happen is one, emotional eating increases quite a lot in dieters. Um, This happens slightly because of the reward system that happens, but more because when we are dieting um, and we are restricting, so there are oftentimes like there is the physical hunger that is there. Um, And then when we have an emotional need, because the reward system is is activated, food can meet that need a lot better than when you, you know, don't have that that intensified reward system. So emotional eating can get quite high when we are dieters. Um, but then on the psychological aspect as well, we know that we can get into kind of like you were saying, like with the um, good foods and bad foods and the all or nothing mindset that we can fall into. Um, that's called like the rigid thinking and very black and white thinking. It's actually really interesting in research because it's not that dieter, dieting will cause to have that rigid mindset. It's that people who have rigid mindsets are attracted to dieting. Yeah. So it's really interesting that like many of us who are like maybe more perfectionists and already kind of have those rigid aspects to us are like, ooh, diets, rules. I like that. I like following rules. I like check boxes. I like feeling accomplished. So we kind of just like put that trait of us just kind of like on overdrive a little bit. Um, so that can definitely happen. Now, the big issue with like good, bad, um, you know, permitted restrictive food is definitely the way that our brain works. When we categorize things in like these two sections that are very like binary, there's two things that happen. One, um, we can only live in one or the two sections, right? I'm either good or I'm bad. 
And when I'm bad, I go all out because might as well, like fuck it mentality. When I'm good, I'm so good. But then we also attach our own value to how we eat. And that's the part with dieting that's extremely hard is when we start attaching our identity to how we eat, how we look, how we perform. And that can actually be quite difficult, again, mental health-wise, but also for ourselves as our sense of self will be impacted. Um, And when we think about our needs as humans, like we have a lot of basic needs, but one of those needs is also like the, you know, like top of our pyramid, like self-actualization, which is almost impossible to do when we are stuck in diet culture because we are stuck with our self-identity being connected to how I eat, how I look, how I move. So that part is actually quite harmful when we start attaching like, okay, this is healthy, unhealthy. When I eat this, I am healthy. Therefore I am better. When I eat this, I'm not good. And that creates a lot of issues, right? And it's actually one thing that's really hard because like, I mean, we can all argue there are some foods that are more nutrition dense and less nutrition dense, but we don't want to attach those values to it. Yeah. And I think what's, I think what's so interesting in all this is like starting with the beginning of our conversation where people will chase weight loss because they want to feel good about themselves and they want to, you know, love themselves. And then we look at like, what is dieting or what is restriction setting your body up for? It's setting your body up to, you know, have, um, you know, more cortisol, more anxiety, less of that function in that frontal lobe. Like you start to look at like, what are the physiological effects to like the body, the organ systems, the brain, the neurobiology, the psychology. And it's like, it's actually setting you up to be like an emotional train wreck that, like you said, like is eating donuts, right? It's like it's like the total opposite of what you sign up for when you sign up for a diet. I just think it's so it's, fascinating to like dive into the science here. Yeah, it's wild. And it's really wild too when I think about it. So not only is there all of these like shit side effects, sorry, but like it no, sucks. Like it's no, not yeah. something that any of us would be like, cool, I want to diet because I want to be able to not focus and not have memory. Like that would be great for me. Like no one wants that. Yeah. But then also like most people still regain the weight and if not more. So like you're doing all of that and then five years down the line, you're at a worse spot. And I'm not saying worse because weight gain is bad. I'm saying worse because your aim was to lose weight. You did not accomplish that initial goal. Or if you did, chances are very high that your body fought back and your body just created a new set point for you. But now you also have this whole other side effects And what we also know is that like self-worth and self-esteem gets very, very low or gets lower with each diet attempts. So every time we do a diet and we fail, quote unquote, meaning the diet itself doesn't work, we don't blame the diet. We're not like, well, Weight Watchers is not great. I'm not going to do that anymore. We're like, I failed. Like Mm -hmm. I did not have enough self-discipline. I did not follow through. I am the issue. And that, again, is like a rupture with our own relationship to self. And that is also really, really difficult when we have so much shame and self-criticism like regarding dieting. Yeah. And I think I think a part of like the work that happens when you work with a dietitian or a therapist who's specializing in health at every size, it's not just about the food. Like so often people are like, oh, well, just tell me like what to eat and like how to do it, how often to eat. But it's really yeah. about like that self-talk, right? And like refining that self-talk. So you're like, listen, we live in, you know, an anti-fat biased world. It is perfectly normal and natural to want to lose weight. Marie and I aren't going to look at you like you're crazy if you tell us like 
that is what you're secretly hoping happens. But like the point is, is like Marie just explained in great, beautiful detail how everything in your body is fighting against you to feel happier and healthier and likely is setting you up to regain the weight slash regain more weight once the diet inevitably failed because statistically it's going to happen. And so we just see how like you spent all this time on a diet when you could have spent time working on your self-talk, working on understanding how to redefine your self-worth and working on how to catch yourself when you are, you know, spiraling into this like mean, um, you know, body shaming moment. Like how do we take those moments and reframe them, right? So that way, instead of just like getting deeper and deeper into this belief that we need to lose weight in order to find happiness, we can actually nurture our body with the food she needs, but then also nurture our brain with the self-talk that is going to help us start to neutralize, maybe eventually one day love, but like, you know, for the most part, just like neutralize and start to separate your self-worth from that conversation around Mm -hmm. how small your body can get. I mean, yeah, like the, yes, a hundred percent to everything you say. And it is hard, I find, because I think Like I think about it, even like when you look at intuitive eating and the research behind it, like they do show that people who are intuitive eaters tend to have like better body image, better like life quality and satisfaction, typically also live in like healthy bodies and have better health outcomes because being anti-diet does not mean we don't care about our health. We're just like nice about it and we can take of ourselves like very, very differently. But I think that's really uncomfortable for many. And it was for me because we are all if you grew up before 2023, so all of us here, we all potentially grew up in environments and household that use shame as a motivator. And that's just how the world was, right? Like do this or that, or like, if you want this then do that, like it's never, it's always has uh, like, we, okay. Reframe, sorry, shame based motivation. Like, we've always been taught to accomplish different goals based on avoiding shame, right? And, like, I remember that, like, with, like, let's say grades, like getting better grades, or else, like, you suck or you'll, you'll be like the worst in class. Or, and I think we feel the same way with our body and body goals. We're like, you know, I'm not lovable right now. I need to do this to be loved. Like, that's shaming ourselves into those behaviors. And that feels very comfortable for many of us and typically will get us to act, right? Like, because we don't love shame. We don't love to feel shame. It's really uncomfortable. But the issue is that it doesn't last long. Like, we can't shame ourselves long term, right? Because it just doesn't right. work. And biology is working against you, too, is the other thing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But now when we're, like, talking and what we're doing is that we are using value-aligned motivation, which is align your behaviors with your core beliefs and values so we're not using willpower and like self-discipline but instead it just comes from alignment which creates a lot less barrier and less friction but it feels uncomfortable for many it feels really uncomfortable i had a client tell me that like self-compassion is nice but it feels so uncomfortable because it's like a new language like i've never talked to myself this way whereas like self-criticism and shame can feel very familiar you know? Absolutely. No, yeah. I think that's that's like a beautiful way of like spelling it out. And I'm sure for most people, they're sitting there and they're nodding their head and they're like, yeah, like that's that's how I was raised. That's how I was yeah. like grew up was to believe like you need to work harder. You need to do better because you need to prove yourself. And, you know, not just understanding like, hey, like you are unconditionally worthy of being loved and respected and liked and we don't have to prove anything. And having that self-compassion, I think 
the thing that we don't realize is like, I think people are afraid if they have self-compassion, they're going to become lazy. I know, especially like in my demographic, like we are so, all, all these runners are so obsessed with like working so hard and they're not lazy and they're not taking too much time off and they're not taking too much time off during off season. And it's like, it's not laziness to have self-compassion, to listen to your body, to treat her like a teammate, to treat her like a friend. Um, I think if anything, self-compassion tends to lend to resiliency, to realizing like we're going to put ourselves out there. We're going to try new things. We're going to have new experiences. And some of them are going to make us feel really good. And some of them maybe don't work for us. And there's no wrong or right here. Like it's not that rigid thinking where there's like a wrong way or a right way to live your life. Like you get to just make decisions that make you feel good in your life, in your body, like, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think that's such a good point you bring up with the laziness because I definitely heard that too especially with athletes of like but if I don't push myself then I won't but I think that's also another misconception like intuitive eating anti-diet does not mean that you no longer push yourself like I still have goals I still like push myself in those situations that's not comfortable I just do it without being an asshole to myself you know like I just do it with kindness and making sure that like my body is recovered and I'm able to do all these things. Like I'm, it's just, it's just such a different way to think about it. But I hear that because I used to believe that too. Like I, I do triathlons and I love them. And I used to think that like, if I didn't force myself into it, or if I didn't use shame as a motivator that like, I just wouldn't do it because the training is hard, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But then I think there's part of us that like doing hard things can also feel like an accomplishment and we just need to like reframe and even maybe redefine your why. Like if you're only running as a method to lose weight, it would be probably really cool to redefine your why and check in and like, do you actually even like running? You know, like I think we also put ourselves in these boxes and we attach our identity to them that it's so hard to be able to like do things differently but I think it's worth asking yourselves, you know? Yeah. No, I, I love that. And um, I think that identity work is is super pivotal, especially for the runners listening to this today. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Marie, this was so incredibly helpful. I think, you know, I feel like this is one of those episodes you have to like pause, take notes and like keep it in a note in your phone. So whenever you have that like, you know, script in your head that going on a diet is the healthiest thing for you, you can just like pull out the notes from today's episode and be like, oh, wait a second. Like, do I really want like increased anxiety and depression? Does that actually sound like that's healthy for me? You know, one of those like wake up call episodes type dealios. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like I feel like we should, I, I feel like we should make a card that's like diet disclaimer. Here's what could potentially happen to you over the next like, <laughs> like I, do it if you want to, but here you go. Yeah. Make I mean, I, decision. I'm, yeah. I'm like not being dramatic, like literally like a carton of cigarettes with like the skull, like literally like this is toxic for your body. Like you are, you slowly starving yourself. What about this screams health? Like it's just, I don't know. The the longer you work in our field, the more like mind boggling it is. Obviously we have compassion and understanding of like why people do what they do, but it's just the more you know, the more you know. It's it's wild. Exactly. And you can't unknow is the other thing. Yeah. Like yeah. once you know, you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Um, okay, Maria, I would love to, before you share how everyone can like work with you and learn more about you and where to find you, I like to end our episodes, um, with our guests sharing why they love their body. Um, why do you love your body, Marie? That is such a good question. So I'm going to say right now in this moment, we, I'm going through renovations, which is so hard. I'm like, I did not anticipate how hard it would be. Um, so I'm very, I love my body's resilience to be able to like put up drywall and paint and do all of these things and like the ability. Yeah, I think that's what it would be. I love that. Resiliency is, I think especially for us athletes listening, resilience is like one of the most important traits to have. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Marie, how can um, the listener learn more about you, working with you, following you, all of the things? Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at The Balanced Dietitian. That's where I hang out inconsistently, but most consistently out of all the platforms, I will say. Um, and then working with me is through The Balanced Program. So that's really where how I work with clients. So it's group coaching where we meet every week. I have my method is food, body, and mind. So I really do believe in bringing in psychology with nutrition because I think most people know, like, I don't think, I mean, there's a lot of misconception with food, but like arguably we all know that we should eat vegetables and like, you know, all the things. Um, But I think it's really a relationship with food and the emotions and the beliefs, the behaviors behind it. So we do all the work to heal our relationship with food and body together and then talk about health outside of diet culture. Because I think a lot of people who are in my world are also like, but I still want to be healthy. And one can still exist without the other. Like we can still be healthy outside of diet culture. That still happens. We just have to shift a little bit in the way that we are with our relationship with food and body. I love it. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much, Marie. This was such an amazing conversation and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dear RunnerBot. If you enjoyed what you heard, remember to subscribe and make sure you share today's episode. Also, if you're looking to download a free three-step guide to love your runner's bod, then head to serenamarierd.com. Can't wait to chat with you next week.